to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, or Delta 8. If you're unfamiliar with these products or their health benefits, don't hesitate to reach out to Artisan Botanicals. 405-458-9699. If you're looking for something to help with pain, anxiety, or just an opioid alternative, Artisan Botanicals has what you're looking for. Plus, we're saving you 15% when you order online. Use the discount code COLBYSHOW at checkout. It's abotanicalcompany.com, discount code Colby Show at checkout to save 15% off your online order. Once again, abotanicalcompany.com, Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. All right, my weekly Tuesday conversation with Eric G. from the Tulsa Sports Animal. Happy Tuesday, Eric G., what's on your mind? Oh, man, there's a ton. Dude, are, are you ready for the cult of Tebow to have a revival? Absolutely not. Are you not. ready for this? Absolutely no. not. Well, they're they're going to be out in full force for as long as he's with the Jags, which I would think maybe two preseason games. I don't I don't see him making the team because even Urban Meyer, for as close as these two are, which is a weird relationship in and of itself when you think about it, because Tebow, by all accounts, like I don't have any problem with him. He seems like a pretty good guy for the most part. He he seems moral. I may not agree with with everything that he stands for and promotes. But I don't think the dude's a hypocrite, and I don't think the dude goes out and does anything bad. And you've got Urban Meyer, who has proven time and time again that he'll he'll do anything to win at all costs. And, and I don't think, I don't know that Urban Meyer's necessarily morally bankrupt, but the dude does have some pretty sketchy morals. We can come back to that in a minute. But the cult of Tebow, I've always been fascinated by this cult, Colby. This just, Somebody's got to, somebody, no one has yet to really explain it in any sort of concrete context. Because when you bring up the fact that he wears his face on his sleeve, well, so did Kurt Warner, so did Colt McCoy, so did Sam Bradford, so did Reggie White, so did Landry Jones. (laughs) So I I can go down the list of, of guys who were, who were very, I guess, for lack of a better term, they were very Christian or at least very open about their Christianity, wanted to share their faith, and did stuff for charity. I mean, that's one that, that came up yesterday. I mean, he did stuff for charity. Well, okay, Serge Ibaka does stuff for charity. Um, well, he's an underdog. Okay, well, he's really not an underdog. The guy was a five-star recruit, had offers from Florida State, Alabama, Florida, Michigan, USC, some of the top schools in the country. And also, he was a first-round draft pick. I mean, just by virtue of the NFL draft, Tom Brady is more of an underdog than Tim Tebow was. 100%. So so there's this whole myth about Tim Tebow that has been created. He didn't come from tough upbringings. The dude was homeschooled. Uh, by all accounts, went to a pretty good school district in Florida before he landed at the University of Florida. So there's this this weird narrative that's been created about him. So much so that when he got released by the Denver Broncos, Pat Robertson, the televangelist, said if Peyton Manning, who was having neck issues at the time, if Peyton Manning hurt his neck and wasn't able to play, it would serve the Broncos right for getting rid of Tim Tebow. Oh, what? Yes. It totally said that it is on youtube i have posted it on my facebook page oh wow pat robertson actually said that 
There was a guy who wrote a letter, wrote a letter to Shad Khan saying that he would he would pay for luxury suites if he would just sign Tim Tebow. And the whole reason he wanted Tim Tebow signed is because Tebow's a winner. Well, there's a lot of people who are winners. And you know what winner is code for when you're talking about the NFL? Not good enough? What? Exactly. That's exactly what, well, he's just the winner. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that doesn't mean that he's got great skills. It, you know, it's kind of like work ethic in our business. You know, I had a great work, work ethic, but it wasn't good enough to stay employed at one particular, <laughs> a particular place. Ouch, sorry. But going, th- this whole thing with Timo, it just fascinates me. It fascinates me that when he didn't get a chance to play in New York or didn't get a chance to play in New England, there were people who were upset. And again, he was a guy that up until just re-signing, never wanted to play any one position but quarterback. And on my timeline on Facebook, there's a guy that says, well, he stands up for his country. He loves his country. He doesn't kneel for the flag. Well, first of all, Tebow wasn't in the NFL when Colin Kaepernick took his stance. And as far as I know, Tebow never said anything about Colin Kaepernick, never criticized him once out of that entire argument altogether. So there's this weird projecting that Tebow stands for something that certain people want him to stand for. And I've just always looked for this like, okay, Landry Jones, let's just take Landry Jones for a second. Landry Jones, I wouldn't call him an underdog either. He was highly recruited out of Artesian in Mexico. Right. Winning his quarterback in OU history. Dude goes to Haiti after a hurricane to help rebuild homes for people who are without them. It's drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. We know he's not good enough to play in the NFL. We knew that he struggled in the XFL. But you don't hear people talk about, well, Landry Jones is just a winner. You know, he won a lot of OU. Give him a shot. But yet you're getting that with Tebow. And I just, like, I'm fascinated by the whole as to what is it specifically about him that some people not only gravitate to but make him out to be more than what he is so much so that I think if you talk to him about it be honest I bet he's a little embarrassed by some of the attention that he gets to some people but it is just it's one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen because um again go back to my Facebook timeline I had an OSU fan say well I kind of understand where you're coming from because I never understood why OU fans like Baker Mayfield so much like okay I can get it if it were just Florida fans. If it were yeah. Florida fans saying, this is our boy, yeah. and we're just going to support him no matter thick and thin, you know, chop, chop, he's a gator, whatever, cool. But it goes far beyond that. Far beyond that, and there's this false narrative with him. Again, not saying he's a bad guy, but the dude, not, again, let's, let's reestablish this, not an underdog. Didn't come from tough backgrounds. It is one of the weirdest, strangest things I've ever seen, and I would love to do a documentary on it. Would love to talk to his most ardent supporters. Would love to talk to him. Would love to explore that relationship with Urban Meyer and see if I can't get a true definition why, because I think that it's more people root for him based on what they want him to be more than what he actually is. 
dude, that is that is very fascinating stuff. Um, by the way, I'm in on the making of the cult of Tebow. If uh, if you need any help with that, so uh, count. Oh, well, I totally like. I've I've reached out yeah. to, to one of our mutual friends about it, <laughs> and and my my oldest son wants to go into filmmaking. So I'm like, hey, he knows a hell of a lot more about this stuff than there I do. So I'm just bringing yeah. him aboard, and we'll make it a family deal. But I am count me I'm in. like all in on it. Like I would take a year or two just to go talk to people, just to talk to him, just because yeah. like I'm riveted, like totally riveted by it. And I think people, again, going back to the social media thing and everyone, look, I make no bones about that. I, you know, that I'm fairly liberal. I think people mistook it when I said, Hey, get ready. The cult of Tebow is going to be out for three weeks. Like, Oh, you hate him for his religion. Like, no, 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 no problem. With, with his religious problem, you know, with his religious stance or where he's coming from. I don't agree on everything, but I can truly respect him. What I just don't get is why there's just this, again, I'm trying to, I'm trying to use another word than fanatical, but why there's just this over the top support of him yeah. that you've never really seen for it, for any other athlete, except maybe Michael Jordan. But Jordan is a, you can define that Jordan one a little bit more because he was, he, Jordan transcended sports. He was a pop culture figure. And he won at a very high rate. And Jordan also did a very good job at cultivating relationships within the media with certain people that will go out of his way to protect him and make sure that the legacy of Michael Jordan is never tarnished. Michael Wilbon being maybe. Jordan's biggest crony and all that. I mean, Michael Wilbon will not let you tarnish the legacy of Michael Jordan. Like, but but there's something there. It's tangible. Like, you know, you can you can you can be the FBI guy and put the picture of Michael Michael Jordan up in the middle of your board, and then it's easy to take the the yarn and connect the dots. Yeah. yeah. With, with Tebow, you can't really you can't really do that. Like, none of it makes near as much sense as you would think it is. And just when you, you think, well, it's this. Somebody will come in with something completely different than that. Yeah. So it's, you know, completely different than what, than what you're thinking. So it's just, it's very interesting to me. Like, I can't even remotely think of, of anything like, like this that we have witnessed or can compare it to, you know, we just did the Jordan thing. I mean, there's, there's nothing there. There's, there. there's like, and I don't think, I honestly don't think people dislike Tebow. I think there are people who are honest about it and honest about his limitations in the NFL. I think there's more dislike for his fans that really believe that whenever you put him on the field, that right. he's just always going to somehow be able to miracle someone to win. And that's just not, that's just not true because, you know his skills are so limited. He can he can always he can only take yeah. an NFL team so far in quarterback. And I'm not even sure the cat can play tight end. I mean, he's big enough, strong enough, keeps himself in good shape. But we've never seen him catch a ball and be put in a situation. And he's 33 years old. Let's not forget this. And when your body gets hit on at 33, it's a lot different than 23. So you do wonder if there are going to be some unreasonable expectations amongst his fans. Well, of course there are as to, uh, as to how good he could actually, actually be at this, but you can't, 
you can't reason with them. You can't break it down and say, here is false. Here's what he's good at. If he wants to make it, this is what he has to do because they're just not buying it. It's no, he's Tebow. Yeah. You throw him on the field and then he's going to win. Well, let's, yeah, no. The Jaguars thing is one of two things. It's either it's either an attention grab, like, hey, look at us. We brought in Tim Tebow. Obviously, they know if they bring in Tim Tebow, it's going to be headlining SportsCenter, right? Because of, as you referred to it, the, cult, the cult of Tebow. It's, Tebow. it's going to make news across the country. Everybody's going to say, like, the Jaguars signed Tebow. What the hell are they doing? Or, hey, the Jaguars signed Tebow. He has a chance. Uh, they were the worst team in the NFL. Or it's a diversion, right? Like, hey, we were the worst team in the NFL. We just brought in Trevor Lawrence, who is going to be... I mean, people already view him as like this can't-miss Hall of Fame prospect. If we bring in Tebow, nobody's looking at Trevor Lawrence. The You know, everybody's like, well, Tim Good Tebow point. make the team. I, so, I, I think this is more of a stunt than an actual football move, first and foremost. I don't think this has anything to do with football. But... The point about why people like him or dislike him, there's so many layers to this thing that makes it fascinating to me. And that's why I said, if you want to make the documentary, I'm I'm in to help in any way I can. So my old show, like I I actually had a shtick where, you know, like we built Tim Tebow up because it was like this, like you said, this cult following where people had this unrealistic expectation of what he could accomplish. So like I played into it as a joke. Uh, I think I think at times some people thought I actually like was a Tebow fan, <laughs> which was not the truth at all. It was it was basically me playing the role of the Tebow maniacs that uh, just you know were completely unrealistic about what the guy could accomplish, and it just became kind of a, a, a funny running joke. Um, but the fact that you can even make a joke about a guy like that and do it years after he's played football and it's still relevant just speaks to how crazy that that fanaticism or whatever you want to call it is but like it's it's funny to me because you 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 made some really good comparisons and you talked about the underdog thing he was a five-star recruit and look there the myth of Tebow was born before he ever arrived at Florida right I don't know if you remember the MTV high school football show called two a days oh no so no, I don't. MTV had this high school football show called Two a Days. I can't remember the name of the high school, but it was somewhere in Alabama. Anyway, oh, Hoover because Rush, Hoover. Because that's Rush right, Probst. Hoover. That's right. Because it also built the myth of Rush Probst as well. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And it th- talk about two opposite dynamics. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so they played against Tim Tebow in one of those like kickoff classics to start their high school football season, and at that point, there was this like. Hey, this Tim Tebow guy is, you know, unlike any high school football player in the country. He's like a fullback that can run and throw. And so there was a myth about Tim Tebow on MTV before he ever stepped foot on the Florida campus. Then he wins a Heisman Trophy. He breaks all of these SEC records as a quarterback, breaks a bunch of Herschel Walker's records, wins two national championships, right, as a part of one, and then as a quarterback, um, leads the way to another. The resume is, I mean, off. I mean, bottom line is he's one of the greatest college football players of all time. Just, just from a resume standpoint, he accomplished so Absolutely. much in Florida. But I also think there was this, you know, you, you compared him to Landry Jones. Like Landry Jones was a really nice guy and and did a like you said, you know, went to Haiti after a hurricane. But like when Land, when the camera was on Landry Jones, Landry Jones didn't like look 
into the camera lens and feel like he was looking into your soul, begging you to like him. And I think that was kind of what Tim Tebow would do. Like he, he would somehow transcend the moment when he was speaking into the camera. And so I think people just felt like he was maybe more likable than other athletes that, uh, that had the same sort of faith based uh, thing going on that Tim Tebow had. And then, you know, I think the next level of that is he just sticks out in any group he's in, right? Like that Florida team in hindsight was like a bunch of criminals. And then you have, oh, yeah. and, then, Absol- and then you have absolutely. Tim Tebow leading the way. And it's like, what? And then he goes to the NFL. And th- this is where I think it becomes really interesting because you mentioned the underdog word. He was a first round pick which does not make him an underdog. In fact, if you're a first-round pick as a quarterback, you're expected to be great. The problem is there was probably only one GM in the entire NFL that viewed him as a first-round pick, and I don't know how many other GMs would have even taken him in the first few rounds. So, like, this one team made him a first-round pick, but I think the collective thought from draft people everywhere was this guy has no chance to be successful as a quarterback in the NFL. So it was kind of like he's he's the chosen one by Denver, but everybody else views him as an underdog. And then, you know, the offense was never good, but they found ways to win. He had the big playoff moment against Pittsburgh where he throws the pass in overtime. And, you know, they went, Tim Tebow won a playoff game as a quarterback. So it kind of like builds into this myth of, yeah, maybe he's not very good, but he's going to find a way to get it done in these big moments. And... It's, it's like this perfect storm of all of these things that just kind of helped create this, uh, this weird cult of Tebow, as you referred to it. No, I mean, there's the smile and the looks, and he's a good-looking guy. And it, 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 just, it, it seemed like there was just a section of our country that wants him to stand for something, uh, some sort of element that's not in specifically professional sports. And somehow, you know, all everybody that plays in the NFL is a criminal. Everybody that plays in the NFL is, uh, you know, doesn't like America. I mean, there's just like all this stuff that just goes into it. And it's like, I don't know if he is that guy you're talking about. I mean, it's almost like what they did with Pat Tillman. When Pat Tillman left the Cardinals to go join the Army, Pat Tillman was a guy that, you know, people were ready to put on postage stamps. People were ready to exalt him. Like, there was one particular political party that said, hey, you know, don't look at these, you know, millionaire money-grubbing athletes. You look at a guy like Pat Tillman who's sacrificing. Well, dig a little deeper into Pat Tillman, and you find out his values didn't align with that political party's values. And unlike Tebow, Pat Tillman was an atheist, was raised an atheist. And all of a sudden, you know, again, it was one of these things, projecting, let's take him, let's make him out to be something that he's not, and it will stand for something. And that's really dangerous when you start doing that. And we've been really good at doing that as a country for a very long time. But once we find out who someone really is, it just sends a shock to our system. Like, no, that guy we root for can't be this guy. Yeah, he can. Yeah. Yeah, he can. Uh, Florida fan, Patriots fan, Aaron Hernandez, yeah, he was that guy. Okay? 
it doesn't make you a bad person if you rooted for them or thought they were good. Like everyone else, act like the team. They have they have think just as many this. flaws as every other human. Yeah, right. And think about this for a second. If you feel bamboozled by Aaron Hernandez, which is the most extreme, um, or you know what, if you feel bamboozled by Trajan Bridges or Seth McGowan, keep it local here. How do you think Lincoln Riley feels? How do you think the people that recruited him feel? Especially if they were doing their due diligence and none of these red flags came up before he hit campus. You know, how do you think Bill Belichick, I mean, well, Belichick knew about Aaron Hernandez's background and took a calculated risk. So let's not, you know, let's, let's, let's start there. You know, backtrack a little bit and yeah. start there. He, he took a calculated risk and he got burned. I mean, this is a guy that, I mean, you know, you're a fan. You may have bought tickets. You may have bought the jersey. That's, you know, that's one thing. But when you've actually invested money into these people and you put them out there and you marketed them and they do something else or, or they do something illegal, then, wow, well, I mean, you look, you as the person that did that look worse than any fan could, could ever look in that situation. Yeah. And so, you know, as you're mad at these people, you know, look at the people that they've really, truly affected by by doing this. Um, and the Trajan Bridges, Seth McGowan, have they been arrested yet? I know that there were warrants. I Yeah, I, I don't know arrest. beyond the initial report that there were warrants for their arrest. I don't I, I hadn't heard anything beyond that. So and I would imagine they would turn. I would imagine that's a case where they're probably going to turn themselves in. I don't yeah. think we'll actually yeah. see an arrest in that situation, but uh, neither, neither one are with the team right now. And I asked Pat the other day on our show, I said, well, how bad do you have to be? I mean, or, or what is that limitation where you are no longer untouchable? And he told me, he's like, if you're good enough, somebody will give you a shot. He said, look at Tyree Hill. You know, somebody will give you a shot. Now it may not be a, an FBS school, a D one school, but, you know, you're talented enough. Hey, it's all about winning. We'll we'll put you on the team. Because I gotta I gotta keep my job. I'll take that risk. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anybody that doesn't believe that's that's the truth hasn't been paying attention. I mean, that we we all understand that that if you're good enough, you're going to get a second chance. Sometimes in the same place. Sometimes you may have to you know change schools or change teams or what you know whatever the the situation is. But it's it's always a talent versus risk type management, right? You, If, if your talent and yeah. what you can do for a team outweighs the blowback that somebody's going to get for retaining you or for bringing you in, then it's it's a done deal. That's why the Joe Nixon thing will always make me scratch my head because he wasn't near as good as the hype made him out to be at, at OU. It's like, yeah, you could have kicked this kid off. You could have kicked him off the team. It, it may have Looked bad initially, but ultimately, I it, that risk was not was not worth the reward. If you if you're asking me, I don't know that that, that Joe Mixon's talents were so you know so incredibly exceeded what he did off what he did off the field that that it made it worth it to, to go down that road. If you're OU, I think you could have got by with other guys and been just fine. I think Samaj P. Ryan, if you kept feeding him the ball, you would have been just fine. He was 
pretty damn good college running back. Well, yeah, I mean, that, would they have been just fine? Absolutely. But I'll say this about Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon is one of the most gifted athletes I've ever seen in my life. I mean, to consider his size and speed and athleticism and quickness and stop-start ability and explosiveness, like when you combine all of that into one package... And again, at that point, oh, you didn't know what kind of football player he was going to become, but they were just looking at the athlete like, holy cow, this guy could be the best running back in college football, which is true. He could have been the best. I mean, he was athletically gifted enough to be the best running back in college football. Now, it never turned into that. Um, but look, he's he's now one of, you know, 32 starting running backs in the NFL. There were 32 of those starting positions in the world, and he's one of them. So, um, yeah, I, I, I look, I, I again... I don't, I, I'm not saying I agree with what they did because I don't. I was very vocal about that at the time. But if we're talking about that whole like risk versus reward scenario, I definitely think what Joe Mixon brought to the table fit on the, hey, this guy could be a Heisman Trophy winner. He's, he's that gifted athletically. And the, and the problem that Trajan Bridges and Seth McGowan run into, and, and this was going to sound so cold, is you're in a position where you're both in positions where OU is pretty deep, right? And have people who are who are better than you, right? So your loss will not send ripple effects through through that team. It's you're a it's it's cold, but you're casually a business. It's it's not only good PR, but you're a casualty of hey, yeah, they could add, but. Now, OU upgraded at running back with with bringing in Eric Gray by all accounts. Yeah, um, absolutely. And at, at, at receiver, I, it, it always amazed it amazed me when Lincoln Riley says, "Oh, we needed to get better at receiver." I'm like, "Really?" <laughs> I was like, "Really? You you seem to have a you seem to have um, an embarrassment of riches at that position every single year." Now they may not always be as good as you want them to be, but my God, they're never dogs. Yeah, no, I that's I don't think that's what he means. Though. I think he just means like we need some of these guys to turn into the players that we thought they were going to be. Because yeah, yeah, they they have they but, have a ton of dudes that obviously the talent level, the athleticism is there. It's just got to turn into on field production at this point. Do you think if Trajan Bridges was a great quarterback, he'd still be on the team? I think there's a pretty decent chance. Corner, cornerback, cornerback. But, yeah, cornerback. that that too, that too. Yeah. There's a decent chance. Yeah, I, although, although, look, I would say this about the Bridges thing. It is strike number two. And, and you know, going back to what happened the first time around, regardless of how you feel about that, you know, everybody feels differently about the whole marijuana thing. And, and obviously with his case, it was different than Perkins and Ramondre Stevenson. But I, regardless of that, it was something that ends up, you know, on, on the record. So... Uh, when you have already one of those marks on the record and then this happens, this one becomes a little bit tougher to get past as opposed to if it were the first time around. But look, this thing on its own was enough to, I think, get a high-profile, yeah. talented football player knocked out of, of any situation. Now, when you're, when you're talking robbery, pistol, alleged robbery, pistol-whipping, and stealing of marijuana... right. That that's all that that's all that. Yeah. Um, violent crime, again, right? Like when it becomes a violent yeah. crime, it it kind of takes that next step of like, hey, uh, we regardless of how good you are, I, I don't think we can afford to to keep you around. And again, I mean, well, I mean, were you were you getting the 
and I'm, I'm assuming they were getting the weed so they could deal because I would think that if you really just wanted weed on a college campus, it's still pretty accessible. <laughs> you don't want to spend the money to go to a dispensary. I'm pretty sure you can get some weed and, and knowing the right people to talk to. So I, that's what I'm assuming they were, I mean, hopefully wrongly so that they stole it so eventually they can distribute and they can make a little money off of it. Yeah, um, I, 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 I'm not going to speculate there because I, I have zero clue about that part of it. So, but, well, that's the only I mean, way you could I, be I'm right. Whatever, you could be right. I don't know. Feel it. I mean, I could yeah. be completely wrong. Like I admit, I could be completely wrong. I'm just trying to connect the dots here on this. But you know, and I'll be honest, for kind of the way I feel about both those guys is, I really do. I am rooting for them to turn their life around. I mean, I'm not you know, rooting for bad things to necessarily happen to these guys. I think they, they blew their chance at being at OU and hopefully for Trajan Bridges when he gets his third opportunity to go someplace, yeah. he can make the most of it and, and get his life right. I mean, we've seen that story happen over and over again. I mean, and but this is just a situation where, you know, you burned your right to be at OU. Somebody will give you another shot, but hopefully when they give you a shot, you understand what a gift it is. And, and, and whatever demons you're fighting, whatever, you hope that that gets, that, that they will get out of their system and they can be upright, which brings me to the transfer portal. Let me run this idea by you real quick. All right. How I'm would listening. you, all right. How would you feel if the transfer portal had a deadline, meaning, there's a deadline which you can enter, and there's as a coach, there's a deadline when you can offer someone in the transfer portal. The reason I bring this up is reading an article today. Um, as of Tuesday, I think there were over what was it, 1,500 kids in the transfer portal for basketball. Uh, 1,544. All right, there's only 357 rosters. 13 scholarships per roster. So that uh, 1,544 accounts for 33.3% of all players in college basketball or all scholarship players. And there's not enough scholarships for all those kids in the portal. So what eventually happens, and this is where, well, this is where the issue, this is where I have the issue. We also kind of have if this, go, we're, we're a year behind though, when you consider the pandemic and, and everybody yeah. kind of having that free year to play and nobody losing a year of eligibility. So we're, we're a little bit backlogged. So those numbers I think are somewhat inflated from what it should be if, if we weren't in this situation. You're probably right. But what I do wonder is, let's say you bring you bring a kid on, you recruit, you you invest all your time and effort, you recruit him, you bring him on, and then he's not as good as you thought he was going to be for whatever reason. He just is not picking up your system. He's not acclimating to it. He comes to you and says, "I want to play. I'm going to enter the transfer portal." Yeah. Do you, as a coach, then say when you know this kid is not that good? Do you tell him, "All right, I'm going to let you enter the transfer portal." But I will keep a scholarship open for you if you cannot find a place to land or you're not happy with where your offers are. Because in the back of my, your mind, you're thinking, it's going to be a little tough for this kid, especially to play at the level he's playing here, like if you're in Oklahoma or in Oklahoma State. Yeah. Even though, 
all right, and you, you make him the deal, even though you know maybe there's a high school kid or there's another kid in the transfer portal who can actually contribute and you can give that scholarship to, you can bring him on and you're going to be better off. Do you tell that kid that's marginal just out of the goodness of your heart? I don't want you getting lost in that netherworld. So just know that. And I'm going to hold on to this until you know what you're going to do. So just know that. You're not going to be able to practice with the team. You're not going to be associated with them. You're in the portal. Technically, I'm treating you as a transfer, but just know that your scholarship is here if something doesn't work out. No, no coach that's somewhat competitive would, would do that. Zero chance. No, nope, they wouldn't. No, you're. I think you're 100% right on that. Now, I would, because I feel like an a-hole. It's like, <laughs> oh, man, I brought this kid on, and yeah. man, he really isn't that good, and I screwed up, and here he is thinking he's that good, but yeah, no, man. Yeah. You know, might be a little tough for you. I would feel horrible about that. I'm like, God, dude, he just blew his up. I mean, this this is the ugly part about college athletics that, you know, people don't really want to talk about, don't really want to understand. People know that it happens, but like it's, you know, everybody's just kind of like, all right, let's change the subject. Let's not talk about that because I don't want to know that like the the team that I root for brings in this guy. He plays for a year. He, that you know, they missed on the evaluation. He's not going to make it and he's kicked to the curb. Yeah, no, no one, no one wants to think about that. But it's 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 the, it's the hard truth. So if there's a deadline, does it prevent that kind of kid from making a huge mistake? Now, it's one thing if the kid says, "Look, I coach, we both screwed up here. You know, I'm not good enough to play at this level, but I know if I go down to a Central Oklahoma." I'm going to have an opportunity to play right away. That that's where I that's where I really need to be. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm cool with I'm cool with that. Can you help me? That's one thing. But I'm telling you, most of these kids probably feel like they are better than what they really are. Now, some of, of course them are they right, do. Yeah, and, and and hit the mark, but but others are not going to be right about this. And I think if you put in a deadline, it you know a kid won. You know, if he's if he's just gotten on campus and it's like say it's football, so he's got on campus, he's worked his butt off in August, September, it's October. He's still not getting to play, but you know he's going to practice, he's going to you know he's going to class, and then it hits November and, he, and then it sits in like oh crap, maybe I should enter the transfer portal because I'm always going to be behind, you know, and he starts you know doing the math about how many guys that are there. If you set a deadline and say that deadline is October, he may not have time to do the math. So he says to himself, all right, I can't enter the portal now. Let me at least go through spring football and see see where I fit at this moment. And then maybe you have a deadline in the fall and in the spring about, all right, you've got to enter by X point. And if you're a coach, you've got this date. By this date, you have to have offered anybody in the transfer portal a scholarship. And if you have it, you can't offer any more scholarships in the transfer portal. Those go to either kids who are walk-ons or those go to kids who are going to be in your upcoming recruiting class. I like that. I don't know. 
I don't know if it solves the problem because honestly, Colby, this is a this is an issue that you could get some of the smartest people in college athletics. You could have presidents, athletic directors, coaches. You could have ex players, current players, like all sit down and do this blue ribbon panel. And I'm not sure anyone could come up with a really good answer on how to get it under control from where it is right now because you've got um, – who was it? It says uh, – I wrote these guys down. Uh, the Weathers twins. Between the two of them, they've been to five schools in four years. Wow. Four years to play college basketball, which was never the intent of the portal, was never the intent of, you know – of college basketball, but you've gone to five school in four years. And that, you know, I don't, I don't understand what kind of a college experience that is. It's not something I can relate to. I mean, I went to Juco for, for a calendar year, 12 whole months, just so I could get to OU, stayed at OU for four years, made friends, still in contact with those friends. It's, you know, Norman is home. That's a home campus. I don't know what it would have been like had I stayed at OU two years and not OSU or UCO or whatever. Yeah, that's just not. I, I, I and I don't know. I mean, how do you look back on that when you're there? Well, because it's I mean, it's, it's about something completely different than it was for you. Well, I mean, true. once again, like I'll just reference Last Chance You. Every guy on Last Chance You, like you've watched them, every guy on that roster thinks they're going to make it to the NFL. Right, yeah. like every single one of them, and and a lot of those guys have had grade issues, or you know, issues with you know breaking the law, or whatever it is. Some of them, some of them just aren't good enough to play at a higher level. But whatever it is, there are all of those guys have big obstacles in front of them uh, before they're going to get to the NFL, and every single one of them is doing that because they believe they're going to make it to the NFL. So it's, it, you know, it's not about trying to stay in one place and, you know, like very few people at that level, I think, realize like, hey, I mean, you said this. Very few people think like I am this good and are right about how good they are. Most people believe they're better than they are. And, you know, it's it's a bad fit for me or it's a bad situation or coach doesn't like me or, you know, I had this this one thing that got me off the tracks and I've got to get back. Like, there's always a reason why things went south and they believe that they're still talented enough to make it to the next level. So nothing is going to prevent those guys from doing everything in their power and taking every avenue possible to try and give them that opportunity to make it to the NFL. So, like... I don't think there is a fix to what this situation is. I, I think you just have to try and manage it in a better way. I love the deadline idea. Um, I, I think it, it it probably makes kids a little bit more responsible for their choices as far as deciding if they want to enter the transfer portal or not. Um, I think it, it also, you know, it's going to become a, a free-for-all type situation, but look, at least you're in some way managing the situation and putting some parameters around what we currently have because right now it just kind of feels like it's uh it's complete chaos but at the end of the day like i i don't i I think you have to have the transfer portal i I, you know there are too many kids that uh, because recruiting is such a shady business there are too many kids that get into bad situations and need opportunities to go elsewhere so you have to have the transfer portal 
for the right reasons. And even though there are always going to be people that take advantage of the situation and take advantage of the system, I don't think you can get rid of it. Like it's, you have to have it there. No, I, I, I completely agree. And you, you talk about being a shady business. It was Seth Greenberg who said, one of the things that's really influencing the transfer portal is you've got these, these street agents who will contact kids and say, Hey, if so-and-so leaves school X, would you leave school Y and yeah. be willing to go here? Because they're, they're looking for somebody at, at your position. Yeah. And so now you've got, you know, some of that going on and Lincoln Riley's right. There's, you know, there's going to be tampering and coaches who are good, know how to do it and not, and, and not get caught. But I agree with you. It needs to be there for several reasons. I mean, one, for a player standpoint, yes, if your coach leaves or gets fired and you or you step on campus and realize, you know, this isn't the place for you, yeah, you should have yeah. the, the ability to change and, and go someplace where, where you're wanted or where you feel more comfortable. Absolutely. From a coaching standpoint, if you miss on evaluation, again, Talk about it being cold-hearted. If you miss on evaluation and you know you're going to win and you bring a kid in and he's just not what you thought, you need to have the ability to go replace him with right. somebody who's more experienced versus have to bring in another high school kid and try and coach them up to get to, get to that point. That kid may be very good, but he may not be good enough to come in and play a slot right away where, hey, there's this kid at West Virginia who's not happy and he's perfect absolutely perfect for what we're doing or he's that guy we're looking for let's go ahead and bring let's go ahead and bring him aboard i mean and with so much pressure on on these college coaches to win from fan bases from administrators and winning being the number one thing you got to do everything in your power to keep to keep your job You, you just do so having that as a tool out there is not a bad thing i do expect at some point if ESPNU isn't already doing this and this is one of the reasons why I want to I, I would like a deadline for the transfer portal for entering and for signing is that I do believe that ESPNU if they're not already doing this is going to have a special on the transfer portal much the way NBA TV or ESPN does one about NBA free agency yeah no, they need and, to. I mean, yeah, it's it, and, I mean, and it's I'm basically all, all it, it's, it it, yes. They they might as well facilitate it to make it like National Signing Day, and I right. I, I know they don't want to like basically green light this thing, but it's already an issue. You might as well make it as seamless as possible and try and somewhat manage it. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm with you. Like it's you're not going to change it. So unless you're going to say we're doing away with the transfer portal and we're going to completely change the way the system works, I think the better option is to just manage what's currently happening. So you're right. I think that would be a great idea. And I think you could, I mean, obviously it would be a moneymaker, right? Like you're going to see names in the transfer portal. Um, How many people watch the coverage of like National Signing Day? Like it's a huge deal. Yeah. I I think it would be, I I think it would be just as big a deal for, for transfers and look like I, I always hear this, this uh, thing about like, well, the big schools like benefit from this so much. And I heard some Oklahoma fans yesterday uh, on, on Twitter upset about the Tennessee linebacker going to Alabama. 
which I think he, he might be the best linebacker in the country, dude. Like, that kid is a stud. Uh, when I saw him going to Alabama, I was like, you know, I, that's a great move for him. Why wouldn't you go to Alabama? Um, they have a rich linebacker tradition. They've they've produced like four or five first-round linebackers in the last 10 years. Like, of course you should go there. Uh, and good for him. Like, he's going to be in a much better situation to potentially make it to the NFL. It's not like OU hasn't also benefited from Tennessee's complete dumpster fire of a program. I mean, Wanye Morris and Eric Gray are both guys that potentially are NFL prospects that are going to help Oklahoma this year. So, yes, the Blue Bloods will thrive from this situation, but here's the thing. They were thriving before we had the transfer portal. Like, it's it's not as though this yeah. has been a game changer like <laughs> no. to, to help them win. They were already winning. This just, yes, they're still winning. Nothing has really changed. They're still benefiting from having that logo on their helmet. Oklahoma and Alabama were out recruiting people before the transfer portal, and now they're landing the top transfer portal guys. Like, that's not going to change regardless of what you do. Those teams, you know, the Blue Bloods have been the Blue Bloods, and we're winning way before we got into the transfer stuff. So, you know, I, this this whole idea that, like, the little guy doesn't have a chance. Well, when did the little guy actually have a chance? Like, come on. Ne- it's, nothing's Never, nothing's but- really different. No, and and I'll add to that. We had Jake Spavadol on our show um, because there was an article about him in the Athletic. He's coaching it. He's the head coach of Texas State, and he pretty much signed a class. Like I, I, I've got the article in the Athletic here, but he pretty much signed a class that was all kids out of the transfer portal that he would have never had access to. Yeah, at, at, at Texas State, if he was recruiting them as high school kids, right? He's getting kids that you know were good enough to get scholarship offers from power five schools good but maybe not good enough to play there and it's like well hey if, if i can get these kids now and they're looking for a place to land and i'm like bro you can play right away then those schools really benefit and that you know it's an interesting way of doing business but if i'm at that school if i'm at texas state if i'm at new mexico state I'm not really worried about signing high school kids at this point. I know that sounds bad, but if I want to win, I'm going to be scouring the transfer portal. And if 20, if 20 of my 25 that I can sign every year are going to kids in the transfer portal, be they grad transfers or guys that are going to play longer. And I'm in freaking Las Cruces, New Mexico, which I don't know if you've ever been there, Colby. I mean, it can be beautiful, but you know, it's you know not exactly you know it's not exactly a place that yeah. that you know five star kids or even right. three star kids are beating down the door to get to. But if I can get those kids, that's how I'm gonna build my program. And I am not. And I mean, I hate to say it. I mean, about that state, that state. If you're lucky, it produces maybe four kids a year that are actually good enough to play at the FBS level. There are more that will get scholarships, but being really good enough, being true FBS athletes, yeah. you know, they just don't exist. And I have to think it's probably the same way in Dakota and in Montana and some of those less populated states. Or, yeah, look, I'm FCS North Dakota State. We're kicking ass and taking names, but, hey, man, if I can get a kid that 
isn't, you know, was good enough to get a Power 5 offer. Have a problem getting a scholarship. Bro, we put Trey Lance, we put Carson Wentz into the NFL. We're going to win national championships. It's fun. Look, you don't have to stay here in Fargo or wherever North Dakota State is. Just stay here for all four years of your life, but you just come here for a couple of seasons, help us win a national championship. We can get you into the NFL, and you have a really good college experience. That's how I'm doing it, man. I am not – if I am in a, just a, a state that's not California, that's not Texas, it's not even Oklahoma now, which is producing more high school D1 athletes than I've ever seen in yeah. the state's history. And I'm talking about good high school D1 athletes, kids that can play and can contribute. If I'm not in a state like that, Mississippi, Louisiana, you know, if I'm not in state, you know, you know, Alabama, Florida, that whole, I'm not one of those. It's all transfer portal. The majority of my scholarships are going to go to kids in the transfer portal. That's how I'm, I'm, I'm building and winning at this point, because ultimately the administration only cares if I win. Fans only care if I win. The administration wants full stadiums. They want people to be excited. They want to make money. Well, how do you do that when? Right. And as you said earlier about the, you know, the dark side of college athletics, most people don't care how the sausage is made. Just make the sausage. Yeah. You know, you know show, show, me the, show me the finished product. We're winning. Yeah, what do we care? Well, what I care if Johnny over here has, has wanted to go to, you know, gr- growing up wanting to go to Montana his entire life, but doesn't get a scholarship offer because he's not near as good as somebody you can get in the transfer portal. Yeah, it sucks for him, but ultimately I just want my team to win because that's what college athletics is about. Yeah, and look, for those guys that, you know, go to Oklahoma and it's not a good fit or they're not good enough to get on the football field, that's that's their option, right? I mean, it's all yeah. it's all cyclical. It it all it it all works for somebody along the way, you know, whether it's the high profile guy that makes it to to college and then isn't as good as he thought he was or you know, the, the kid that uh, that that was under-recruited and nobody paid attention to and then shows up at some small school and is way better than all of his competition and ends up saying, I'm, I'm, I'm better than this and transfers to a, a Power 5 school. I mean, it's it's all cyclical. It all, it all works. The system works for somebody somewhere along the way. Um, I think people just don't like it when it works against your rooting interest. Right. Exactly. No, that's absolutely exactly how we are as fans um you know the nba is a great example it doesn't really the current system that the nba is in now does not work for oklahoma city it doesn't work it doesn't work for memphis works out beautifully for the lakers works out well it should work out beautifully for the next let you know yeah (laughs) it should it works out beautifully for the Nets. it works out beautifully uh, for, for Golden State, any of these, you know, big market teams should work out great for Chicago. Yeah. My God, how has Chicago not had any better success in the modern NBA than what they've done? I don't, Chicago's a fantastic city. I always care about how people want to live in Chicago and go there. And yet they can't, you know, seem to get anyone to want to build a super team in that city. But you're right. It doesn't, if it doesn't work for your rooting interest, you hate the system. If it's working out fine for you, then you don't care. Yankee fans, hey, there's no salary cap in baseball. So right. what? We can spend, spend, spend. Royals fans, wait a second. 
know? Yep. Uh, Every time we have we somebody good, we're going to lose him to the Yankees. Yeah. Right. So that's the three hit the nail on the head. All we care about is are our teams really benefiting from the system itself? That's all we care about. If our teams are benefiting, then we don't care if other fans get hurt in the process. Yeah. Which is a lot different in Europe because apparently they care. They cared if, if other fans got hurt. Do I, they though? Which is, they seem to over that whole Super League team. They were real you know, people were. Oh, Manchester U fans were rioting next to smaller club fans over the whole situation. Don't do this. You know this is not English tradition. Where I'm like in America, it's like, man, we're giving the middle finger other <laughs> bases, and our owners don't care. Criticize our owners all you want. They don't care. If they've got something that they think is going to benefit them, they're just going to do it. Yeah. I I think that was, honestly, Colby, that was the best story in sports this year. It is what happened with this Super League over in Europe and the reaction to it. I mean, we talk about how fascinating Tim Tebow was. That was fascinating. Yeah, that that was a fascinating story. I, I don't know if I was more fascinated by the lack of spine that those owners showed in wanting to do the Super League and having it fall apart or just the overwhelming support and the and just the united front that the European soccer fan put forward to keep what they had intact. And that's, I don't know that in this country we can really identify this because when we talk about college football, no one in the Power Five cares if a group of five gets screwed. We just don't. I mean, you're not right. going to see OU fans and Tulsa fans side by side saying, no, don't do the playoffs. Don't keep the group of five out of the playoffs. It's like, spend more money. Be bigger. Yeah. We don't care. Yeah. And and that, I, I don't know if one is better than the other. I really don't. I'm an American. I tend to lean towards, screw you. Be better. Um but I don't know. I don't know if we college football would be better off if, if OU fans and Boise State fans were were more united. Actually, no, I know it wouldn't be. Just, I, no, no, yeah. no, no. The Bluefield, that, screw that. Screw them. Screw them and their Statue of Liberty. Yeah. Take that Bluefield to Europe. Yes, go. If you want equal, go to, go to Europe. We're, so it's we're not the worst thing in college football. Like, there are, a lot, there are some bad things in college football. The Bluefield is the worst thing in college football. Hard pressed to disagree with you on that one, and, and it spawned other teams. So there's like gray fields and purple fields now. Thanks, yeah. thanks, Boise State. Yeah. Thanks for Boise, Boise State. Just is the worst thing about college sports. <laughs> <period>. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I can I can get on board with that. Yeah, we. Um. Yeah. No. Totally. But sorry. <laughs> but they, look, anybody there. that doesn't cheer for a P five school, though, like Boise's the hero, right? Because they they prove that it can right. be done, that you can beat the big boy. Yeah, that's exactly what they prove is that you can beat the big boy. Yeah. Um, but anything is possible. Once. Yeah. Once. Anything is possible. Once. Can you do it consistently? I think TCU has given us the answer to that. I mean, yeah, they were they, they had a little bit of a run there in the Big 12, but I mean, is there any signs that they're going to consistently compete for being one of the top three teams in, in, in this conference? No. 
No, none. I mean, they're going to have good teams here and there, and they're going to there. There will be years that they're they're good, but yeah, they're they're not uh, they're not consistently at the top of the league like like Oklahoma. No, they're just they're they're there. They're filler. That's, that's all they are. They are filler on the schedule. They are filler on the schedule, given a handout based on de- desperation and. I was thinking about what we did on Friday, the, 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 the whole fantasy draft for the college football conferences. Real quick, if we could talk to Tom Osborne, the Lost Odds, and Dan Beebe, who are probably the three people most responsible for the way modern college football looks right now. I mean, like, I seriously hold those three people responsible, not just for the Big 12 falling apart, but for college football being where it you know where it is today with this with conference expansion do you think any of them feel happy about the decisions they made when it concerns the longhorn network willing to move i mean does, does dan Beebe? i mean one he's no longer commissioner of the big 12 i don't know if he's necessarily out of a job he's not commissioner of the big 12 anymore does he regret kowtowing to texas on the Longhorn Network. Does Tom Osborne regret moving uh, Nebraska to the Big Ten? Even though they get the paycheck, there are no signs of Nebraska getting back to where they're going to be. Does, does the lost Dodds say, yeah, we got a lot of money, but we're still in football while I'm facing the same issues that we were facing then, which is... Well, he's not even there gosh, anymore, right? It, no. Yeah, but, 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 but does he look back on it now and think, man... Uh, yeah, Texas is still, I mean, how does Crystal Conte feel about the Longhorn Network? Yeah. It's certainly, I mean, you know ESPN regrets it because it didn't oh, have the impact yeah. that ESPN thought, and I bet David Boris, who was like, all right, we'll keep the Big 12 together. You know, you're not moving. I would like to move to the Pac-12, but you're not moving. We're kind of stuck. And OU is probably thinking they could do the same thing, and they really haven't. I mean, they got that Satan with Valley Sports, but that's about it. I don't know that anybody in that situation could feel like what they did benefited benefited themselves. No, in hindsight, I, at, I would at, at I would guarantee you all those guys would say it was the wrong move. Yeah. So, you know, I, you go back to the I, moment though, like just to just to give a pro argument for that thing, and I you know I, I'm not saying it was a good idea, but I, I'm just referencing at the time you look at what Texas had done in football for that 10-year span um, multiple national championship appearances I mean on the doorstep how many other times three or four times maybe one or two spots outside of that championship window they had a ton of momentum Uh, basketball had been to a final four in that decade they had been to multiple college world series I mean as an athletic department in general that every program was at the highest level of competition. So, you know, it, it all fell apart and, you know, Rick Barnes moved on and the basketball program went down the toilet. Augie Garrido retired and baseball wasn't the same. And look, it started the slide before he retired, but uh, baseball wasn't the same. Mac Brown left. And, you know, again, that, that slide started before he left, but he left and football uh, went up in smoke. But I mean, all those big programs were night and day different for that 10 year stretch right before the Longhorn Network deal happened than what they are now. So I don't think yeah. anybody envisioned that 
literally every program within the athletic department was going to completely melt. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be great. We'll have all this right? money. We have the best athletic department in the country. All of our teams are competing for national championships. Let's start this network. And then they get the network and like literally every program just disintegrates to ash. We're gonna be a we're gonna be a national brand. I mean, you th- look out, Notre Dame, <laughs> right. Texas is right. Texas is is gonna take over your piece of the pie. And uh, look, I was really honestly excited about the Longhorn Network when it came out. I'm like, all right, I want to see what they're gonna do. What is the programming gonna look like? And I honestly thought it would look a lot more like the SEC Network. Like you would have, like SEC has the Paul Five Bomb. Like yeah. I was thinking Chip Brown was going to have a show on there. And I'm like, being the sports radio geek, yeah, all right, Chip Brown. You know, maybe I'll have a shot at no doing something there because I'm delusional enough to think I'm good enough to do that. I'm like those kids going in the transfer portal. Uh, delusional enough to think that I should be at a bigger market or what, whatever during those days. And then it just was like, okay, so it's coaches shows. And we all know coaches shows suck now. I mean, can we just be honest? Coaches shows suck. There is no more bland television uh, production than a coaches showed out because it's strictly propaganda. All right. Uh, unless you're just going to make it like a fun deal. Yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, unless you're going to have fun with the coach, you're right. It's, it's a waste of time because nobody's going to say anything. No. And, and it's not, it's not like um, when Bud Wilkinson used to do it, when he used to school you on football. And here's why we blocked this, this particular way. And here's what the running back right, is supposed right. to do on this play. So when you're, you're watching the play to make you better educated about football. Let's discuss what I'm looking at. Let's discuss what you are. Here's the practice film for Texas when they're running the wishbone, or maybe it was the beer. When it, I think it was the wishbone. Here's why it's so successful. Like at least Bud Wilkinson gave you content, gave you some meat, whereas everybody else is just really generic. Um, but it's like it was coaches shows. I was looking forward to the Longhorn Sports Center. And then, like, you know, for the 500th time, here's the 1969, you know, Texas versus Arkansas game. It's like, and for, for every good thing you do, like the retrospective on the 69 National Championship team or the 63, or breaking out those old Southwest Conference highlight films, which I love. Those are freaking great. You can find them on YouTube. Those are fantastic. Yeah. Um, with, with the big deep voice, you know, stiff guy reading them and they're showing old football highlights and it's all filmed. For every good thing you do, there's five just really boring products that you put out. And it's like, who the hell is watching this? I don't even know if, like, the most diehard check writing Texas alum watches this garbage network for the exception of maybe one game too long. Yeah. Now it's like, yeah, yeah okay, you a Jody Conrad retrospective. Well, that was good the first three hundred times, but yeah, well, you know, I'll pass on it now. Well, like um, the Texas USC game is one of it, probably the best college football game I've ever seen. When you consider the national championship, the star caliber players that were in that game, the way it unfolded, I mean, that game was magnificent. What an awesome game at the Rose Bowl. I mean, the setting, all of it. But the, I'm sure they've played that game about 500 times on that network. Yeah. Like, after yeah, you've seen well, it, least, after you've seen it, how many times do you go, okay, well. 
Well, oh, oh, look, there's Vince Young again. Yeah. It was, it was a great well, game, and, but and I, who wants to watch that 8,000 times? Yeah, and I understand that there, you know, there's some financial issues with it. Maybe you didn't hire as many people as you wanted, but it had a chance to be something really cool and to be a template that Ohio State or Alabama or OU could have followed. And I think now most of these schools look at it and instead of – and look, most school, the majority of school administrators don't have a broadcasting background. So now essentially they look at it, it's like, yeah, you know, this is just, you know, one more thing that would cost us money. And even though we're making money off of it, it, it doesn't seem like it, it's really worth the trouble to try and go through it. ESPN is probably saying to themselves, yeah, it's really not worth the trouble to try and program your station with 24 hours worth of really quality content because it's just not there doing it the way that we're doing it. And it's more as a broadcaster than anything. It just, it, it's been one of the most disappointing ventures in television we've ever seen. Yeah. And, and, it, and I still think that it could have been so good. But, you know, back to the original point, hindsight is definitely twenty twenty. But it just, you know, at the time, you know, how many of us thought Nebraska, okay, yeah, they're going to the Big Ten. That maybe fits them better and they'll be more successful and, you know, the Longhorn Network will make Texas this dynasty, and just none of it, none of it came to fruition whatsoever. The only school I think really benefited, truly, from from a competitive standpoint, moving where they did with Colorado into the Pac-12. But even them, you lost some of yeah. your uniqueness. Yeah. When you, were in the, when you were in the Big 8, you had a little bit of uniqueness going out to California telling kids, hey, come to the mountains. You know, all, right. all your friends, you know, maybe they're going to USC, maybe they're going to UCLA, and they're playing against each other. You got a chance to not only come to the mountains, you know, hang out here for four years, but you get a chance to play Nebraska yeah. and Oklahoma, and you know, these are two of the you know most historic football schools in America. And you're going to be on TV, and if we do things right, you're going to be in the thick of the national championship race. And there was, I think there was a uniqueness. There was the idea of getting out of California. You sort of sold it. Now kids are more like, well, you're going to be coming back here at least once a year. So that's not that big a deal. I'd rather stay close to home to mom. It gets cold. So, I, you know, I'm a California kid. It's sunny. So yeah. I think you lost, you know, that, that, that special thing that, that, that you kind of had. When you were in the Big Eight, the Big Twelve, I, I don't think it trans—I don't think it transcended to the Pac-12 as as well as they thought as as well as they thought it would. But I also don't look at them and think they're a hell of a lot worse off than than Nebraska is. I think they're in a much better spot when some of those teams get down. They, and, and that's the other thing about Pac-12: USC's down, UCLA's down. Washington still hasn't really gotten to where it was in the in the eighties and the nineties, so there's a hole open for for you to be competitive. Where I don't know if that'll ever happen for Nebraska. Yeah, I don't ever see a time when Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, and Wisconsin are all mediocre, and you and Iowa just are going to be able to plug that hole. I don't think that's happening anytime soon. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And and look, it, the the whole conference like, went downhill at that point, right? Like, the Big yeah. 12, you could make the yeah. argument, I think, when all of that was being negotiated, you could have made the argument the Big 12 was the best football conference in the country. 
And then you right. get to the, those first few years and even Oklahoma, like Oklahoma during that, you know, that was the, the Landry Jones years. Like they were good. I'm not trying to argue that they were terrible, but they weren't Oklahoma. Right. I mean, everybody in the league, I guess other than Oklahoma state in 2011, you know, everybody just kind of took a step down and you had a couple like, you know, that, that was kind of where Baylor and TCU found a path to emerge a little bit, but the conference as a whole certainly took a massive step in the wrong direction. Competitively, they weren't yeah. viewed as favorably as they were before. No. And they're they're not going to be. I mean, as long as you've got, it's like I've always said about the Big 12, you know, a million times now, so here's a million one. You've got OU and Texas, who are that upper echelon blue bud school, and then you've got the third tier. I mean, it just drops straight right. off to the third tier. The SEC is lucky in that you've got Alabama, which is a blue blood. You've got LSU, which is now bordering on being a blue blood. Right. And then you've got Georgia and Auburn and Florida. I mean, one, they're all in extremely good hot spots for high school football and, and recruiting, which certainly doesn't hurt. But yeah. if they're not blue bloods, they're just under it. I mean, you don't really drop to that third here in the SEC until you get to Ole Miss, Mississippi State, right. Arkansas, um, Vanderbilt, like even Tennessee, I would put in that tier above them. Yeah, I agree. When, when they're going with, with everything they got, so I mean, the Big Twelve is it's just the strangest conference in the world. Like I would say, the Pac twelve, you've got one blue blood in USC, Oregon is Oregon and Washington are somewhat fringy to that but then you've got a lot of other schools that 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 have potential arizona state should always be better than than what it's been over the last few years colorado can be good utah has shown uh that it can it can you know consistently compete in in that league but again you've got to go ways before you you hit washington state and oregon state schools that are in outpost so it's just uh, the, there's really no way to, I mean, everybody wants the big 12 to get better and, and crank out more draft picks, but the only way that happens is if Texas gets better. It really is 100% yeah. dependent on Texas because none of the other schools really can do that. OU and Texas can, everybody else will have guys that get picked, but you're never going to see Baylor, Oklahoma state, Kansas state, Kansas, you know, have five guys to get drafted in the first round of one year. That's just, that's not going to happen. You know, right. I mean, maybe there's one, and you might have one from each of those schools combined, but I mean, if you're looking for those, you know, that big rush, it has to come from two schools and people are just going to have to understand that. Yeah, agreed. And, and you know, your point about the SEC is valid because look, if, if Alabama or LSU doesn't win it and it's Georgia or Florida or Auburn, uh, there's not the same like, eh, like that it's, it's a down year in the SEC yeah. as if, you know, if it's not Oklahoma or Texas, like if Baylor or TCU or Oklahoma State wins the Big 12, although Oklahoma State's in a tier above those other two, they're still not in the second tier of, you know, mighty powers in college football history. So while you, they could have the best team in the country, like I'm not arguing that the 2011 team wasn't a great team, but it's Oklahoma State, so the natural assumption is, uh, well, the Big 12 must be down. They're not that good if Oklahoma State's winning the league. You know what I mean? Like, if Ole Miss right. was winning the SEC, 
the conversation would be the SEC's not that good this year. Not that Ole Miss is really good. It's, well, the conference isn't that good this year. And that's just the national perception. Yeah. If you don't have a brand, then that's what it is. And that, I mean, for the Big 12, unfortunately, for those that want to see it better, there, there's no way to fix it unless you can get Texas A&M, Missouri, and Nebraska all back into the conference. Yeah. Or, um, some, or somebody wins four. a national championship, you know. like Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like Iowa State wins a national championship this year. Then then maybe we can talk about it getting, you know, getting fixed. Right. All right, my friend, always good stuff. Appreciate your time, and uh, we will catch up again next week. Thank you for letting me talk your ear off. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff, buddy. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thanks to Eric G. from the Tulsa Sports Animal for joining me on the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, or Delta 8. If you're looking for something to help with pain, anxiety, or just an opioid alternative, Artisan Botanicals has what you're looking for. And we're saving you 15% when you order online. Abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code Colby Show, C O L B Y S H O W, discount code Colby Show at checkout to save 15% off your online order at abotanicalcompany.com, Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Everybody stay safe, have a great day, and I will see you tomorrow. Podcast is over.